Are you ready for God's word this morning? All right, if you are, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to pick up where we left off, 1 Peter chapter 2. I read for you verses 11 to 25. And I've entitled what I have to share with you as this, um, people of two worlds. Okay, we are all people of two worlds. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read for you from verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, Peter said, as foreigners and exiles, I'd like you to, to look at those two words, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Submit yourselves um, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he said, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Hallelujah. Let's bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much this morning for your word. Thank you that your word nourishes, feeds us, and your word instructs us on how we should conduct ourselves on this earth. And I commit to you now this time of sharing, anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, but also with authority. Speak as a servant heareth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in some traditional churches, uh, they would type out their hymns, the, the hymns that they're going to sing in their order of service, okay? And there was a story told about one church where the secretary made a mistake and she, instead of typing, our God reigns, she typed, our God resigns. <laughs> our God resigns. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, our God has not resigned. He is still reigning on His throne. Our God is sovereign, our God is good, and He will bring His will to pass. And this is why we can trust Him even in uncertain times. You know, in the book of First Peter, which, is, which we have been studying, we know that this is a book 
written to prepare God's people for uncertain times and impending persecution. Now, when we talk about persecution here, we are not talking about petty pushbacks or little ridicules from unbelievers. We are talking here about a fiery ordeal that is physically lethal and life-threatening. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about persecution from people in authority where the emperor, Nero, was actually persecuting the church, putting Christians to death. And in the midst of suffering and persecution, Peter now informs us what should our response be. What should our response be when we are existing in an environment where that is unfriendly towards Christianity? How should we behave? How many of you agree? We are actually, even though we live in a free country, the environment is not always friendly to believers, isn't it? And how, how should we respond in a time like this? And here in this passage that we just read this morning, the Apostle Peter actually set a foundation uh, on how we should respond by actually reminding us, first of all, of our identity. Who are we? Who are we, really? And he called us, I'd like you to notice, he called us foreigners and exiles. Foreigners and exiles. You know, this word foreigner in, in the Greek, paroikos, actually means a sojourner or an alien. It actually means someone from another country. Now, we are aliens and don't really belong here. That's why we are called foreigners. The word exile, paradidimos, didimos, actually means pilgrim or stranger. We are pilgrims. We are strangers on this earth. It speaks of one who is not native to this land and actually longing to return home. It's not really our home. We're longing to return home. Now, when Peter wrote to the church at that time, the Jews totally understood this because they, they really considered themselves foreigners and exiles. They did not belong in Rome. They were longing to return home. So what is all that? When Peter wrote and called us foreigners and exiles, it is really a metaphor to remind us of how as Christians, all of us are citizens of two worlds. Do you realize that? We are all citizens of two worlds. We are citizens of heaven, but at the same time, we are citizens here on earth. So like it or not, brothers and sisters, we all have dual citizenship. You know, I hold a Singapore passport. They don't allow me to, be a, to be, have any other citizenship. You know, unlike Australia, very good. You know, they, they don't allow me to have dual citizenship, but I want them to know I'm a dual citizen, actually. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm also a citizen on earth. See, we are foreigners and exiles. That's why I love this old song we used to sing, you know. And you know, the only time I get to sing some of this old song is when I'm preaching. So, <laughs> <laughs> this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blues. The angels beckons me from heaven's open doors and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. How many of you can actually sing that? That we actually don't feel at home in this world anymore. It should be. This world is really not our home. We are just passing through. The angels cry to us from heaven, you know. 
this is not our home. I don't feel at home anymore. But you know, one of the dangers of being a foreigner is that we can actually go native, right? We assimilate so much that we find it hard to adjust back to our home country. We settle down, we fit in until we lose our sense of true identity. So what did Peter challenge them to do? He said, you know, you are actually dual citizens. You are not just citizens on earth, you are citizens of heaven. So he challenged them to do two things. Number one is this, negatively he said, we abstain from sinful desires. You look at 1 Peter 2 verse 11, he begins like this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to do what? Number one, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. As citizens of heaven, we abstain from what everybody on earth is caught up with. Money, sex, power. He says we abstain from all these things that everybody on earth is caught up with. We have been born into a new kingdom and it is a kingdom of light and not darkness. We have come under a new king and his name is Jesus. We are no longer slaves to sin and flesh, but we are now slaves to righteousness. We are slaves to the spirit. We do not allow our fleshly appetites to go out of hand until we lose this spiritual war that we are engaged in. How many of you know life is, is not a party? It's actually a battle. Life is a battle. And we cannot become too comfortable with this world. And we become native to this world. And then this world will become our home. And we will lose a desire. We lose the appetite, you know, for our real home, which is in heaven. So negatively, we must abstain from sinful desires. But positively, Peter challenges us, we maintain a life of good deeds. Maintain a life of good deeds. So look at verse 12 now. It says, live such good lives instead amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. It's not enough just to abstain, but we must also maintain a clear witness for Christ. And, when you, and you maintain this clear witness for Christ, not just through our words, but through our walk with God. See, we, we are to live such good lives that it shouts louder than all the accusations of wrongdoing the world can throw at us. And what does this good life look like? The word good in the Greek uh, is the word kalos, which actually means something attractive, something honourable, something admirable. We are supposed to live life in such a way that people look at us, they could see that we have good deeds, things that are winsome, right, noble, something admirable, honourable, attractive. It's a kind of good that even the world can appreciate. Are you with me? Uh, it's, and it's, even the world looks at us and then they can appreciate it. In other words, they are good that does not smell of religiosity or something done with a holier-than-thou attitude, which actually turns our friends away. And we lived our life in such a winsome way. It is good conduct that actually silence the enemy and draws them to Christ. They can then see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And as fellow foreigners and exiles, we abstain from what is wrong and we maintain what is right. How many of you amen that? That is our responsibility as exiles and foreigners. Then you notice the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Peter, Paul's my favourite, so 
Peter once in a while we pray. So the Apostle Peter goes on to remind us that we are dual citizens of heaven and earth. And because we are dual citizenship, we have duty, right, to our Father in heaven. We also have duty to our authorities on earth. And he particularly brings up two examples of proper authorities that we have a duty to. And within our context, it would be government and employers. Okay, in Peter's context, he's talking about the emperor, talking about the king, and he's talking about slaves and masters. But in our context, I think it would be government and employers. And then using these uh, uh, relationships as a backdrop, the Apostle Peter challenged the recipients of this letter to live a distinctly different kind of life. And what I'd like to do in the rest of my time with you is to pull out for you the four key distinctives of exiles and foreigners like you and me. How are we to live? Okay, here are four key distinctives. Number one is this. We are to live a life of submission. Because you are citizens of heaven and you're also citizens on earth, in your responsibility to the authorities on earth, how should we behave? Number one, it's a life of submission. The Apostle Peter challenges us as foreigners and exiles to live a life of submission. Look at verse 13 uh, to 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do good, commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That word submit, uh, we all know it's not a popular word. Uh, the only time uh, that it is really used nowadays is in an MMA match. You know, when we beat our opponent into submission. <laughs> so that's what that is. But the word submission, biblically, is a beautiful word. Uh, sometimes, because we, we, are not, we don't talk that much about it, you know, what happens is that people begin to think that the word submission conjures up images of people asserting control over another, like a dictator, you know, lording over his subjects, like a harsh boss intimidating his uh, employees, like a domineering husband trying to control the wife, or a tiger mom, you know, trying to scream at her children. But I tell you, the amazing thing is that uh, Peter actually challenges us. He says, whether the authority is nice or nasty, we are to submit to them. And then he even bring it down to, his, to the, 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 the root, you know, and he, he, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he even applied to the slaves, the lowest people in, in, in society. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Why? i tell you why, because we are called, brothers and sisters, to a life of submission. We submit to proper authorities as unto the Lord. We do our work as unto the Lord. That's the attitude. And Peter actually pointed out something very interesting in verse 14 that we mustn't miss when he defines for us what governing authorities are for. Notice what he said. He said, they are sent by Him, referring to God. They are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do 
right. Now listen to me, don't miss this. The role of government, my friends, is not just to improve the economy, but it is to punish evil and uphold good. Hello? Because every time we think government, what's the first thing we think of? Economy. Who do we vote into power? The people who can help us improve in our economy. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the governments are sent by God to do what? To uphold righteousness and to restrain evil in society. But we tend to choose our government based on what is good for the nation economically rather than morally. And then I think we missed the point. That's why some years ago, there was this um, US election motto, right? That goes like this, no? It's the economy, stupid. You know? So the, it's like trying to tell everybody, vote on the basis of economy. No, 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 no. I think it's not just the economy. It is morality, stupid. <laughs> it, is, it is there to raise, to uphold what is right. And that is why, brothers and sisters, it's so important that you and I cast our votes carefully. That's why it's important we pray for our government and not just make fun of them in stand-up comedy. It is critical that we bless our government rather than to curse them. And mind you, Peter was declaring this at the time of the Emperor Nero. It was in a, in a context of Christians being treated unfairly and harshly. And then he challenged us, we are still called to live a life of submission. But does that mean that we must always obey what the government or what our employers want? My answer to that would be this. I think the answer is yes, until what they want is not what God wants. <laughs> Then there comes a time when we must declare we will rather obey God than human beings. See, when the authorities tried to stop Peter, who wrote this, right? When the authorities tried to stop Peter from preaching the word, Peter himself declared in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, he, says, he said, we must obey God rather than human beings. But even when we are to obey, uh, even when we have to disobey, we must do it in the spirit of submission. Now, you may ask, is that possible? Uh, my answer to that will be yes, I think it's entirely possible. Do you realize that a person can actually obey without submitting and we can actually submit without obeying? <laughs> I think it is possible. You know, I don't know. There are many occasions when I have uh, obeyed. I obeyed my bosses, I obeyed my parents, but I obeyed without submitting. I obeyed with a, with a stinking attitude inside. You understand what I mean? Uh, since you want me to do, I do. La. So what, actually very stupid, you know? In my mind, I'm going like that, but in my, on the outside, I'm obeying. I have obeyed, but I have not submitted. How many of you agree? We all did that, right? And it is also possible to actually submit without obeying. I submit, to their authority, I submit to their role as my parents and, and, I, and I disobey in a, in a submissive posture. I think it's entirely possible to do that. There are occasions I have to say to my mom, you know, when, when uh, she was not yet a Christian, I am, and she wanted me to do things that I know is wrong. I have to tell her, mom, I'm so sorry. I really want to 
to do. I've always wanted to obey you, but in this case, I just can't. I'm so sorry, mom. So what have I done? I've disobeyed, but in a posture that is submissive. Are you with me? Recognizing that she still has authority over me, but I couldn't do it. John Bevere, I think, put it nicely this way. He said, submission deals with our attitude towards authority. Obedience deals with our responsive action towards authority. One has to do with attitude, submission. The other has to do with action, obedience. We are called to a life of submission, but there are times when we have to obey God rather than man. The Bible teaches unconditional submission to authorities, but the Bible does not teach unconditional obedience. In other words, we are released from obeying only when leaders tell us to sin. And through submission and obedience and doing the right thing, we will silence our enemies. See, Peter, 1 Peter 2 verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And then out of submission comes the second thing, a life of service. Out of a heart of submission comes a life of service. 1 Peter 2, 16 to 17, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Huh. We are all slaves. Live as God's slave. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In the midst of persecution, Peter reminded the people that we have been set free. But we are not set free to do whatever we want, but rather to become servants of the living God. We are free to be servants of the Lord. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to be a servant of the Lord. Remember that song? I'm free, I'm free, I'm free to be a servant of the Lord. He taught me how to love Him. He taught me how to sing this song. He taught me how to love. I'm free to be a servant of the Lord. And that's what it is. True freedom is to be free to be a servant of the Lord. And Peter even applied this to the most oppressed people of that time, those who are slaves. Do you know during that time, there were like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And slaves have absolutely no rights and slave masters have absolutely no responsibility. They can do whatever they want with their slaves. They can even kill them and get away with it. But when Jesus came, what he did was he turned servanthood into a dignified thing. In fact, Jesus declared himself to be a servant. Right? Mark chapter 10, verse 43 into 45. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but He came to serve. Give His life a ransom for many. And you know, if we are truly servants at heart, then what will happen is that we will show proper respect for everyone, whether rich or poor, whether educated or illiterate, whether young or old, whether black or white, respect is such a beautiful word that we need to recapture. In fact, do you know the entire Ten Commandments can be encapsulated you know, in this one word, respect. Respect. If we respect God, we will not commit idolatry. We will not take His name in vain. We will not violate His Sabbath day. We will honour our parents. We will respect the sanctity of life. We will not murder. We will not cover after that which belongs to other people. If you really respect other people's properties. Isn't that right? 
It's all rooted in respect. If you know how to respect God, you know how to respect people, we will live out the commandments of God. Just respect. It is all about respect. And we know how to show proper respect. We will end up fearing God, loving God's church, and we will honor God-given authorities. I think this is the foundation for a life of service. Out of a heart of submission, we live a life of service. But here's the not-so-good news. The third thing is a life of suffering. Okay, this part, you got to accept it as well, okay? <laughs> Peter not only applied this to kind bosses, he also applied it to harsh ones. He didn't just apply it to good government, he applied to bad government as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, right? Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, also to those who are harsh. How many of you know we live in a fallen world? And in a fallen world, life is not a bed of roses. Life is messy and people can be nasty. How many of you know that? Okay, many of you are very blessed. Huh? You only have nice people around you, but you know, I think people can be nasty. And Jesus actually warned them in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they would also persecute you. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 and 13, in fact, everyone who wants to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I tell you this, my friends, there can be suffering in life. It's not a bed of roses. See, and there can be suffering in life. But what is important is this, when we suffer, we must suffer for the right reasons. Suffer for the right reasons. If we suffer because of our own stupidity, then don't blame God and say, I'm being persecuted. No, no, you're not. You're just being stupid. There is no credit in that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 19, 20, tell us there's no credit in that. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Okay, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? You insult people and people slap you. It's too bad. Don't go and turn the other cheek, you know, because you're just being, you're being silly. You get slapped because you're stupid. But if we suffer for doing good, and then you endure it, that is commendable before God. Amen to that? You know, how, how, how do we understand suffering in the light of a loving God? We, we first need to remember that we live, uh, the kingdom of God has already come. That's great. But not yet in its fullness. We still live in a fallen world. So in theology, we understand it to be already, but not yet. The kingdom has already come but not yet in its fullness. So there is a fallen world that we lived in. See, and the thing is this, we are living in the already, but not yet. For example, God heals, but sickness is still present already, but not yet. Jesus already conquered sin on the cross. True, but sin and Satan is still present in this world already, but not yet. Sinful men still make sinful decisions that can affect you and they can affect me. See, and that's why we still see persecution in this world. We still see violence. But this does not change the fact that God is who He is. Can bad things happen to good people? I think so. But remember, it is only temporal. Sin and death will one day come to an end. 
And we are not living for the now. We are living for eternity. In the meantime, we stand on this revelation that God is good, that God still heals, God delivers, and God protects. His kingdom has already come. We have all experienced His kingdom power and blessings in our life. But when bad things happen to good people, here's the thing, my faith must be robust enough they'll be able to carry me both to the mountaintop as well as the valley. My faith must be robust enough to be able to embrace both the good and the bad and still stand, that still believe God is who He said He is. My God is sovereign, my God is good, and He will bring His will to pass. How is this possible? That brings me to my next and final point, which is this, we live a life of substitution. We live a life of substitution. When God calls us to a life of suffering, it is not a case of a boss telling his employees what to do without doing it himself. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, listen, to this you were called, a life of submission, service, suffering. Why? Because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. Christ suffered for us and then He left us this awesome example. He suffered unjustly because He was seeking to do good and He did no wrong. He committed no sin. See, but He endured the suffering so that you and I can be set free. How did He go through all this mistreatment? You look at the last few verses, 23 and 24. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threat. Instead, what did He do? He entrusted Himself to the one who could judge justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by His wounds, we have been healed. I can summarize what Jesus' response is by saying this. I think He went in the opposite spirit. When people attack Him, He did not retaliate. You know, when people cursed Him, He blessed them. He went in the opposite spirit. He died so that you and I today can live. He took our pain so that today we can have our healing. He gave us His life in exchange for ours. So what is this? He became our divine substitute on the cross. And we must now live our life in the light of this substitution. How do I do this? 1 Peter 2, verse 23, and trust himself to him who judges justly. We live this life of submission, service, suffering, and substitution. Not by trying harder, my friends, it's by trusting him. We entrust ourselves to the one who is able. Amen. And he will, he, let him live his life through us. I die to myself and I let Christ live through me. Do you know, realize God didn't call us to be rowing boats, you know. He called us to be sailing boats. You know what the difference is? You are not a rowing boat trying harder, rowing harder all the time. I'm going to be more servant-like. I'm going to be more submissive. No, 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 no. You die to yourself. And then you set your sail to the wind of the Spirit and let Him carry us. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. It's only by His power. It's only by the power of the Spirit. I want you to know this. Jesus is not just our divine example. 
He is also our divine enabler. He didn't just leave us a pattern, but He also gave us a power to actually live this life of submission, live this life of service and substitution. He, he really did. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, and with this we end. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. It's God working in you. And the power that works in us, my brothers and sisters, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And without the power of the Spirit, all of us will end up like cars with no engine. We'll all be pens with no ink. You're like a guitar with no string. You're like spaghetti with no sauce. You're like nasalamak with no chili. You understand? Very flat. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. And we receive His power when we return to our Good Shepherd and the overseer of our soul. So verse 25 ends beautifully. For we were like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our soul. And we all say amen to that. And none of us can live this life of service and submission. And none of us can go through the sufferings and live this life of substitution except by His grace in our life, except by His power. And may we come to the Lord this morning in surrender and say, God, I cannot. And many of you, you know, maybe you're struggling trying to live this kind of a life, trying to live like foreigners in exile. You know what? You need the power of God in your life. Come in surrender to your good shepherd and He will fill you afresh. Amen. Why don't you stand together with me and we'll pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, a word that challenges us as foreigners and exiles to live a life of submission, of service, to live a life that where suffering, we can triumph through it and to live this substituted life by dying to ourselves so that you can live through us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we invite you this morning to come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.